If you all would please open your Bibles uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come before you right now. We just thank you for bringing us together. And Lord, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts today, Lord, that you would Again, just prepare our hearts for the things that you have for us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, and most of all, that we would leave here with the desire to continue to grow in our knowledge of you, in our relationship with you, Lord. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sharing with uh, the service last night and, and with some people this week that it's crazy how every time I teach in the main it's one of those things that I guess the theme of, of what I'm going to teach on comes up in my life. And so I was even telling Miss Pat, I was like, man, you know, I can't wait till the day I get to teach on the blessings of God's abundance, because then that's going to be a great week for me. But this week wasn't that week. This week I, I was like, man, uh, I knew that I wanted to share about what God's been putting on my heart about prayer and just the importance of it. And so, of course, something came up that caused me to, I guess, really just stumble in it. Because on Monday, I came home from running some errands and going to the store for my wife. And I was thinking about some of the conversations I had had with the youth over the weekend, some of the things I had coming up, you know, the, what we were going to be going over on Wednesday night, and even just thinking ahead to this weekend and, and just starting to put together some thoughts about what it was that, that God was sharing with me. And as I was doing that, I was doing some of the chores that I don't necessarily always pay a lot of attention to, one of which being taking out the trash. And it didn't seem like a big deal that I wasn't paying attention until the next morning when I got up and, and I started getting ready to take my daughter to school and I realized I could no longer find my car keys. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll just find them later. And I came home and, and I, my son needed to get to work, so I took him to work and I still couldn't find my keys, but I still didn't think it was a, was, a, was a big deal because it was a pretty common occurrence in my life that I leave my keys lying all over my house. So uh, when my wife woke up, we started tearing apart the house looking for him, and I started to get more and more nervous. And it, I guess reality really set in when I heard the beeping of the garbage truck pulling away from my house, and it hit me 
that on Monday night when I had taken out the trash, I had walked out with my car keys in my hand. But when I had walked back into the house, my hands were wonderfully empty. And in that moment, I realized I had thrown away my car keys and they were now somewhere at the city dump. And it was one of those things I was like, again, no, no big deal. I'll call the, the car dealership. You know, they never gave us a spare. I'll get the spare. I called and uh, after I picked up my daughter, I called on the way home and I was talking to them and they informed me that since it had been three years since I bought the car, it was no longer their responsibility to provide me with a spare, but they could offer me the ability to purchase one for $300. I would love to say that in that moment, I told my daughter, you know what, baby, we just really need to pray and trust the Lord. That is not what happened. I let the manager of that car dealership know just how displeased I was in no uncertain terms. I let him know that I was no longer going to buy vehicles from there because I constantly buy cars. And that I was just so displeased with their service, I went home and did the Disney princess launch onto my bed face first. And I could hear God telling me, you know, this is a perfect time to pray, to put into practice all that you're going to share about this weekend, all that you know. And I said, you know what, God, now is not the time. I just lost my keys. And it literally took me three or four days this week to finally just get to that place where I was like, you know what? God, you're in control. And you know, it was my dumb mistake, but I know that there was a lesson that I can learn in this, and it was just really the importance of prayer. And how often it is that situations in our life can prevent us from coming to the Lord the way that we're supposed to. How, you know, even something as silly as losing your keys, a silly mistake, or even when we go through the larger issues, that sometimes our frustration gets the best of us, our anger, and instead of taking it to the Lord in prayer, we almost blame Him and we say, you know what, I can't believe this happened. I don't want to talk to you right now, God. And we forget what Paul tells Timothy. That even here, starting in this first part of this first verse, he says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. That he starts and he says, I challenge, or I, I, I encourage you, that prayer would be the first, and, and not even necessarily just first in order, but first in importance. That it would be a prominent part of your life, Timothy. That prayer would always be an essential part of your life. And I don't know if any of you are like me, but man, that is something that I struggle with. That prayer is often one of those things that it's, I'll get to it when I get to it. Maybe even one of those things that it comes up when things start to go wrong, but when things are right, it's not always seen as a necessity in my life. And it's sometimes that we forget, you know, the words that, of even Jesus. When you go back to Mark 14, verses 37 through 38. And you see the reminder that he gives to Peter and, and to the guys that he's taken to pray with them in the garden. That in Mark 14, verses 37 and 38, what, he said, what it says is, Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? 
Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes, and and this is that moment where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he's taking these guys with him to pray in the garden. And Jesus is pouring himself out before the Father. He's preparing himself for the trials that are to come in that moment. And he goes back and he finds these guys that he's taken to pray with him, and he finds them sleeping. And so the reminder is, listen, you know what? You need to be in prayer because, you know what? If not, when the trials come, you're going to fall. You need to continue in prayer. You need to prepare before the trials because a lot of times what happens is when we pray once they get here or while we're going through them, we've already made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so he tells Peter, hey, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. And I think that, man, we can attest to that. That even coming on sometimes on Sunday's first service, that, man, when we have people that love to pray, that it's a struggle sometimes because we come in and we're still waking up and they start praying and they're launching into this really long prayer. And about halfway through, our prayer becomes, Lord, please help this stop. If they don't stop soon, I'm going to continue in prayer for the rest of the day because I am going to be asleep. Because, man, we want to. We're here. We made the trip here. We got up early. We did all those things. But, man, our flesh is weak. And, man, there are times that we're just so exhausted that closing our eyes, man, it leads to that sleepiness. A lot of times it's even one of those things that we decide that we, hey, you know what, the best time for me to pray is at night when everybody else has gone to sleep. And when I go to bed, before I go to bed, I'm going to pray. And we start and we begin with, dear God, and that's all we get to. And then we wake up in the morning and we're like, oh, man, because the flesh is weak. We get comfortable. We fall asleep. And it's one of those, okay, well, you know what, God knows the thoughts and intents of my heart. But, man, you know what, there is a reason why it's important for us to spend that time with him, speaking to him, to remember who it is. I like what we find in Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, about how David began his day. Because in Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3, what it says there, as it says, starting in verse 1, Give ear to my, to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. And I love especially that last part. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Because I wonder how much, I guess, easier or how much more peace we might have going forward in the day if we started by looking up instead of looking ahead, looking back, or looking around. Instead of looking ahead to all the things that I have to do, looking back at all the things I should have done, and looking around at all the things that aren't done. But instead, looking up to the one that has my life, my day, my situation in his hands. See, prayer needs to be the priority, and it needs to be a consistent priority in our lives. 
Paul will go on in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and he will list a couple of the different kinds of prayer, and we're going to focus on two of the ones he mentions, because he starts and he says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. And so he starts with supplications. Let your needs, let your, your heart be made known to God. Bring it to Him. I think one of the things that often keeps us from praying is worry. You know, we we spend a lot of time trying to figure things out on our own. We rush around and we're stressed out and we're exhausted. And we complain about never having the time to spend with the Lord. If only there was more time in the day, then I would have more time to spend with Him. And we show up here a lot of times and we're dragging mentally, spiritually, emotionally. We're just running on empty. Because instead of taking things to the Lord, we're trying to take things into our own hands. We're trying to figure it out. And it just never works out for us. You know, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, again, Paul, he writes, and he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, Be anxious for nothing. When I was going through Philippians a couple of weeks ago, that word anxious, when you get down to it, what it really meant was to be torn apart. And I thought, man, how, how real that is, because that's what anxiety does. It begins to tear us apart, to pull us apart. Sometimes it's because we're trying to be everywhere all at once, trying to have the answers for everything. And so we're being pulled in all these different directions, and we can never quite feel at peace. We never quite feel at rest. Because, man, most times we don't have the answers. And, man, maybe some of you are like me, that there are times that it is stolen sleep from you. Because you are up late at night trying to figure out the future. The what-ifs are running wild in your mind. And you can't rest because you don't have answers. Here what Paul says is, man, you know what? Bring it before the Lord and let Him guard or keep your heart and your mind knowing who it is that has the answers. It doesn't mean that you're always going to know what those answers are going to be all the time, but you can trust knowing that you know the one who does. And you can go to bed knowing that he's in control of your life. I was telling the, the service last night, I started reading this book uh, by D.L. Moody and uh, can't remember the name of it right now, but it was something like Men Who God Moved. Something is along those lines. And one of the first chapters in that book is about Daniel. And the second chapter, it talks about the second chapter of Daniel. How the king comes and he's had a dream and he tells the Chaldeans, the sorcerers, the magician, the wise men. And he tells them, listen, 
I've had a dream, but not only do you need to interpret it, but you also need to tell me what the dream was. And if you can't do it, then man, I'm going to order that you all be killed. And so, of course, they come to him and say, you know what, we can't do it. And so he gives the decree and the guys start to go out to kill all these guys. And they come to Daniel and Daniel says, hold on, let us pray. And so they're given some time. And as you read, it says that in a night vision, Daniel received the dream and the interpretation. And Deal Moody says, you know what, I wonder if possibly it was because it was a night vision because Daniel prayed and went to sleep. And I was like, how crazy would that be? Like, imagine if even tomorrow your boss came to you and gave you an impossible task and said, if you don't accomplish this by the end of Friday, you and your whole department are fired. I seriously doubt that many of us would get much sleep that week. We'd spend a lot of time complaining. We'd spend a lot of time, you know, talking about the injustice of what had been said and done, the unfairness of, of the command given. We'd spend, you know, hours at the office meeting with the, the people in our department or people around trying to figure out a solution. But sleep would not be one of those things that we would do. But yet Daniel, you know, he goes and he has this peace because he understands who it is that he's prayed to, that he can rest, that the answer is going to be found in the Lord. That is that peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense to go to sleep without the answer, but to trust that, man, there is going to be an answer. I've told people one of the texts I hate the most is when somebody texts me and says, I need to tell you something. And then they don't tell me what it is. And then it's like, well, I'll wait till I see you. Well, why couldn't you have waited till you saw me to tell me that you needed to tell me something? Because now for the rest of the day, all I'm going to be thinking is, what is it that you need to tell me? Or can I ask you a question? Just ask, you know, like you're, you're ruining my day here. And the kids are notorious for it. And then they'll, they'll tell me that, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Okay, what is it? And then I won't get a response for like two days. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they died. Like, what happened? And then, you know, it comes back and it was like, oh, it's because something silly happened at school. And I'm like, well, if you weren't dead before, just wait till I see you. But it's because my anxiety, my, my, my need to know takes over and my mind starts to run wild. Because, man, sometimes and a lot of times I lack that peace. And I think a lot of it has to do with my pride. I like what Peter points out in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, when he talks to us about casting our cares upon the Lord. But there's one step that a lot of times we look over. Because he says in verse 6 of 1 Peter 5, he says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It says in verse 6, humble yourselves. And I think that there is a huge part of it that that prevents us from bringing our needs before the Lord and sometimes even bringing them before other people because we have this idea that we have to internally handle it all ourselves. That we have to have all the answers. We can't admit weakness. 
We can't admit that we're struggling or any of those other things. And so, man, we would rather fall apart than bring it to the Lord. It was another one of those situations that I remembered just physically in my life because it was about a month ago we had one of those crazy rainstorms that we get in El Paso. One of those that, you know, it could be completely clear all day and then all of a sudden, you know, night comes and the clouds roll in and it's like pitch black and then, you know, five seconds later it's like, you know, we're getting flash flood warnings on our phones. And I remember this because I had just gotten back from the pastor's conference. I had just gotten my car fixed. And so I had just started driving it again. And one of the things I had forgotten to take care of, because I had forgotten about my car for a little bit, was my windshield wipers. And they were falling apart. And so I was here in the church parking lot, and I had my son with me, and we were going to go over to my brother-in-law's house to meet my wife and daughter and everybody over there. And it's raining, just pouring. And I turned on the windshield wipers, and the rain just laughed at me. It was kind of like, yeah, okay, see, see what that does for you. you know, and I thought about possibly trying to just have my son lean his head out the window and guide me. But I realized that even if we survived the car trip, I would not survive the explanation to my wife. So I quickly dismissed that idea. And we drove over to Target because we had gone to one of the auto, um, the auto parts stores around here. And the prices were a little expensive. So I said, well, let's just go to Target and see. And so we found some windshield wipers. And I bought them. And as we're walking to the, to the exit, I realized it had been like seven years since I had changed windshield wipers. And I know I'm going to lose all the man points I might have had at one point in some of your eyes, but I also realized I had no idea how to change windshield wipers. And the rain had not stopped. Now, my brother-in-law has been a mechanic for mo most of his life. I could have called him at that moment and said, hey, Scott, you know what? Can you walk me through how to change my windshield wipers? But I was like, I'm not doing that. And I looked at my son and I said, we're going to go outside and we're going to figure this out. And so we stood out there for about 25, 30 minutes in the pouring rain at Target, running around the car because... You know what, I would figure one part of it out, and then he'd be like, oh, Dad, well, I know what to do next. So he, we'd switch spots, and I'd do it on that side, and he'd do it on my side. And we're running in the, around in the rain like fools, like all excited, laughing. I think maybe I'm over-exaggerating the joy in it. But we were running around the car, and at one point, we thought we had it attached. And so we get in the car, and we're like all proud of ourselves. And I said, okay, let's test it out. And we realized that we had not attached it properly because I had to go pick up one of the windshield wipers off the car next to me. And I was like, all right, well, let's, let's figure it out. And so finally we get them on. And we get to my brother's house and we're all proud of ourselves. And Ethan walks in and he's like, guess what? We changed windshield wipers. And my sister-in-law looks at me and goes, how did you not know how to do that already? And I was like, ah. I don't know. <laughs> I had no good answer. And it was the next question was, why didn't you just call us? Well, because I didn't want you to know I was struggling. I would rather be soaked in the rain than admit that I needed help. Because that was something easy that I should know how to deal with. 
And man, how many times in our lives do we not bring something before the Lord? Because it's easy. And I should know how to deal with this. It's just pride. What Paul says going back to Philippians is, man, you know what? Be anxious for nothing in everything. Bring your supplications. Let them be made known to the Lord. Here it says, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Let Him know. Bring them to Him. And trust Him to deal with them. The other one that I wanted to look at tonight, the other prayer that Paul mentions is going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Is He says, you know what? I exhort... First of all, the supplications, prayers, intercessions, the praying for others. You know, I, again, it's one of those things that I think a lot of times falls on the wayside. I think sometimes it's easy to look at what goes around all around us or goes on all around us and to start to get frustrated with the people. To start to get angry or maybe even disgusted by the things that we're seeing and start to look at them as if they're the problem and we forget the words of Paul in Ephesians 6.12 where he tells us where our fight is and who our fight is against. Because in Ephesians 6.12, as he gets ready to, to talk about the armor of God, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul says our fight is not against people. Our fight is against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's not a fight we're going to win with our own wisdom or our own strength. It's a fight that's going to be fought and won on our knees. A fight that, man, a lot of times we are failing to get into because prayer, again, is one of those things that is the first thing that we cut out of our lives. After the pastor's conference we attended, I picked up a couple of books on prayer because I knew how just inadequate my prayer life had been. And so I picked up a couple of books on, on just these older gentlemen that talked about the power and, and the importance of prayer. And my prayer at the time was, Lord, help me to be more effective in my prayer life. One of the things that has happened as a result is that I guess my eyes have been opened to how serious the warfare we're in is because over the last couple of months I was sharing with Mr. Cruz I have talked to more people struggling with hopelessness and even thoughts of suicide than I have talked to in the previous eight years of ministry I have talked to kids who have told me they have no clue who they are with tears running down their face I've spent time with friends who are firemen and nurses and teachers and, and businessmen, and they have sat there and told me how empty they are, how useless they feel, and how they never feel like they're ever going to be enough. 
And I've realized more and more what probably should have been a, a pretty simple observation to make. But man, the people around us are hurting. They're struggling. And some of them are drowning. And man, we need to be in prayer for them. We need to be interceding for them. Not just the people we know, but the people we don't. Not just the ones that come up to and ask for prayer, but I feel like even more so the ones that don't. Because often they're the ones that are one step away from completely falling apart. They're the ones that need the help the most. Oh, I need to be interceding for them. Ezekiel 22 verses 23 through 31 has become this warning in my life of one of those things that I never want it to be said about me or about the time that I live in. Because it starts in verse 23 and the Lord is going to describe to Ezekiel the state of Israel at the time. And starting in verse 23, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the people. In verse 30, he says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. And that verse 30 stops me cold every time. I sought for someone who would stand in the gap for these people, and I found no one. I was telling him last night, my prayer is that that would never be said of us. That we would constantly be standing in the gap for the people around us, for our city, for our nation, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our grandparents, for our parents. That we would be interceding for them. I know sometimes it is a struggle. So one of the things that you're, you might see this week is on the 26th, I believe Wednesday is the 26th, as you drive, you, if you pass by a high school and, and maybe even some middle schools, you're going to see some kids gathered around poles praying because it's that national see you at the pole. 
And all over the nation, kids get up early in the morning and they go to their polls and they spend time praying for their school, for their nation, and then also for their individual need. And it's a wonderful time, something I've been able to participate in with the Youth for Christ clubs that, that we help with. But one of the things that struck me about that is that, man, it's a national day when it should be a national attitude. It shouldn't just be one, th- one day out of the entire year, and it shouldn't necessarily be something where we have to go to a poll to do it, but it should be something that is the attitude of our hearts that we are daily praying. We're praying for our schools, we're praying for our administrators, for our leaders, and we're going to touch on that in a little bit. And we're going to be praying for our co-workers, for the people that service our food at, at Whataburger or Wendy's or all these places, you know, um, I realized that, when, as I mentioned, food places, I'm still a child because Whataburger and Wendy's seem like sit-down restaurants to me. But, you know, wherever you go eat, to be praying for the people that, that are serving you, to be interceding. As you're driving, one of the things I love about my daughter and that she constantly is a reminder is that, man, sometimes we'll drive past an accident. And, and my thought sometimes is, oh, man, it's going to make us late. And it really shouldn't be my thought, but my daughter will start praying from the back seat. Lord, help those people. And it's a very simple prayer, but she's interceding for them, even just for their physical well-being. And it's a reminder of how often it is that we pass by the car accidents in life, whether they're physical or spiritual, and we just go by and say, man, I hope it doesn't make me late, when we ought to say, Lord, man, use me. Let me be one of the ones that builds a wall on their behalf and stands in the gap for them and fights for them on my knees daily. Because there is a battle taking place. And one that a lot of people are losing. There is a a youth that came and visited and and hopefully the family comes back. But it was their first time this past Sunday. And and this child was a freshman at America's. And after the service, she came and asked to talk to me. And this, this kid told me, you know what, honestly, I struggle with depression. And that in and of itself at 14 just kind of broke my heart. But then she told me, it's because, you know, last year my best friend committed suicide. And it was another one of those moments where you're just kind of almost at a loss. Because that meant that this kid was an eighth grader when they decided there was no future and no hope. There's a battle taking place, and it is going to be won or lost, not by the impressive speeches that we make, not by the demonstrations or the petitions that we participate in, not by the things that we post on Facebook or Instagram, but it is going to be won or lost on our knees. That's why I like to go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 12. And it's a verse that sometimes we talk about on the 4th of July and, and on national holidays and, and national days of prayer and, and those types of things. But it's one that I was brought back to this week. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 12, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. He says, if my people who are called by my, my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn. That's what our world today, that's what our city, our nation, it needs. Unfortunately, it's a lot of times where we have the least willingness to spend time doing. I had the opportunity to go watch my nephew play football this past week. And I never realized how much time a football game takes until I was out there. And we got there like at 7, and I just glanced at my phone in the fourth quarter, and I realized it was almost 10 o'clock. And I was like, oh, man, it's been three hours. And, I mean, I wasn't complaining because I was the parent that they probably – instituted all the parent sessions on what not to do at football games because I was the one yelling at 14 and 15 year old kids that couldn't hear me and most of them didn't know me. My nephew was probably pretending he didn't know me. But I got so into the game, like I was into it. And three hours later, you know, it ends and I'm like, oh man, there went my evening. But it was such a, a, a cool moment to be able to be there, to, to see something that was important to him. But then I started thinking about how often it is that we can spend three hours watching a sporting event. Or a movie. Or any of those other things. But if a prayer service is announced and we say, hey, it's going to be from seven to eight. We say, you know what, I, I don't think I have time for that. And what am I going to do for an hour praying? It's why at almost any church you go to, when there is a prayer service, they attach a a potluck to it. Because if not, very few people are going to show up. Because I think we've forgotten how important the warfare we're in is. Man, that should be one of the most highly attended services that we have. Because, man, there are people that are lost outside. There are people that are lost in this room. There are people down the hall that, man, at 10, 11, 12 years old, are making the decision whether or not there is any point to continue. And sometimes we don't see it physically. We don't know the battles that they're facing. But it doesn't mean that we can't be interceding because God knows exactly where they're at. And he says, man, make intercession. And then he says, for who? He says, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. He says, for all men and all who are in authority. So who are we to pray for? Everyone. 
regardless of whether we agree with everything they stand for, they do, or they say, we are to pray for them. Because ultimately, we should have a desire to see them saved. And so we are to be praying for them. And I think sometimes even that is a struggle. We do a Youth for Christ at at Mission Early College High School, and we take pizza because you can get high school kids to come to just about anything if you provide free food. And so we provide food for them, and they come. And this past Friday, we had some food left over. We had some pizza. And one of the young ladies said, you know what, I kind of want to take a pizza. And I said, hey, do it. The more pizza that you take, the less I have to eat. And we all know I don't need to be eating more pizza. And she said, well, I want to take it. But she says, it's such, it's so inconvenient to carry that box around. And I said, hey, dude, don't even worry about that. You're not going to make it far down the hall before that box is going to be empty and you can throw it away. And she goes, well, that's part of the problem. Because people are going to come ask me for pizza and ask me where I got it. And when I tell them it's for Youth for Christ, they're going to say things that trigger me. I had to ask somebody what she was saying to me because sometimes they speak in foreign languages. And she was saying, you know what, sometimes they make fun of me and it upsets me, it angers me. And she said, so what do you think I should do? And I said, I think you should take the pizza and you should pray for the people that are upsetting you because maybe in a couple of weeks or maybe next week, those same people will be here in this room. Maybe this is a window, an opportunity for you to go out and witness. And it's one of those I realized that, man, sometimes we forget that sometimes we're going to suffer for righteousness sake. It's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 14. And he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so Peter says, man, you know what? Don't be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled upset by them, but instead sanctify the Lord and use it as an opportunity to be a witness. At the gym that I attend, there's this guy that's a power lifter, and I I would sometimes see him just lifting crazy weights. And so, so some of the guys have told me that my midlife crisis has begun early because I decided that I wanted to start trying to do that. So I went to him and I said, hey, man, can you start training me to do what you do? And he was like, yeah, cool. One of the other guys got really excited. He was like, I've never heard of a preacher powerlifting before. And I was like, I don't even know how to take that. <laughs> like, you know I'm just a dude, right? Like, I don't know if you're expecting me to go in there and, like, lift the gym because God is on my side or what. But... I'm just a dude, like, I just want to do it. Well, it became this thing. They started telling me about this movie that somebody on Saturday told me I should really watch. But they started telling me about this movie called uh, Machine Gun Preacher. 
And it's with this guy named Gerard Butler in it. And they showed me the picture of the guy. And they said, that's you. You're the machine gun preacher. And I was like, hey, man, if I look like Gerard Butler in your eyes, you can call me whatever you want. But so now it's become a thing where it's like, you know, I'll be working out, you know, lifting my five-pound dumbbells, and they'll be like, hey, there's the machine gun preacher. They're like, we're going to get you a singlet because that was one of the not-so-cool surprises I found out. I have to wear a singlet to compete. And they're like, we're going to get you one that says machine gun preacher on the back. And I was like, I, okay, <laughs> you know. And it, was, it just became this dumb thing that God has used to open doors. One of the kids that goes there, and I call them kids because they're like in their 20s, came up to me and said, you know, Pastor, I go to church, but I just feel so far from God. Can you help me? And we've started reading together, and I, I put together study questions and email them, and they email me back answers. And, and out of Machine Gun Preacher came an opportunity to disciple somebody. One of the guys that, that is helping me, he talks a lot of trash, and man, he's probably one of the biggest cussers in the entire gym. And he came to me at one point, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, it's just who I am. And I said, it's cool, man, like, I don't judge you for that. Like, I'm not, I'm not God. I'm praying for you. And he goes, well, truth be told, I used to go to church all the time. And I said, well, what happened? And he goes, you know, I'm not really ready to talk about it yet. But there's an opening that started to form there. Out of what I can only assume is them kind of making fun of me, because clearly, if you look up Gerard Butler, we're not twins. But it started to provide an opening. And man, sometimes that's what happens in life. And it's one of those, hey, pray for all men, even the ones that are mocking you, even the ones that make you the most upset because you don't know the window that might, God might open for you to be able to witness to them. Pray for those in authority over you. Pray for those in authority over our nation. Because they need it. The things they're dealing with, man, we couldn't even imagine most times. The decisions that are coming across their desk. Pray for the leaders in your church. Because they need it. Pray for each other. Because we all need it. And ultimately, our prayer is that man, that what it says in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Our prayer ought to be that all men would come to the knowledge of who Jesus is and accept him in their life as their Lord and Savior. We played a game on Friday night with our youth group, and it was one of those proud moments as a youth pastor because it was this quiz game where, like, somebody brought a PlayStation, and, and we all signed in with the Wi-Fi, and there would be dumb questions that would be answered, and you were supposed to provide the silliest answer. And at one point, one of the questions was, why are you on this earth? Unfortunately, I didn't get that answer because I had a whole lot of really cool answers to give. 
but a couple of the youth did. And when their answers appeared on the screen, one of them said, I'm here because this is where God put me. And the other one said, we're here to spread the gospel. I didn't vote for either of them because neither of them were funny. But I thought, I, I looked at them, and these were junior high kids, and I said, man, how awesome it is that they know exactly why we're here. They didn't put anything dumb. They didn't put, well, I don't know. They didn't put any of those things. They put because God has put me here, and they put because God has sent me to spread the gospel. How often we can forget that. And we can start to say, well, I'm here because I need to provide for my family. I'm here because, you know what, this is the only job I could get. I'm here because this is what I'm good at. I'm here for all these other reasons except for the reason why you're there. You're there to be a light and to teach and to disciple and to make disciples of all the nations. That's why you're there. Everything else is secondary. First and foremost, you are there to be an example of God's love, to be his ambassador and his messenger, wherever it is that he has placed you. It's not an accident. So pray for your workplace. Pray for your school. Pray for your home. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, or God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He says, there is one mediator and one God. And it's through his name that things are going to start to happen. Sometimes we can forget that. Sometimes we can even forget who it is that we pray to. And we can start to downgrade the power of prayer. I tell the kids that sometimes I feel like there are just comedic moments put in the Bible, and, and, and maybe it's just the way that I read them, but it feels like there are comedic moments put in the Bible to kind of almost relieve tension. And in Acts chapter 12, I, I see what I find to be one of those, at least for me as I read it. Because starting in Acts 12, in those first couple of verses, we've seen Herod begin to harass the church. It says that James has been killed by Herod at that point. And Peter is now imprisoned with the intent, with Herod's intent being to kill him too. And when we pick up in verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, or was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. In verse 7 it says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. 
When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together praying for Peter. That's my parentheses. And it says, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer when she recognized Peter vo Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And that's one of those moments where I tell the kids, like, just imagine Peter. You've just been delivered from prison. You go to the church where they're praying for you. You knock at the door and say, hey, it's Peter. Somebody squeals in excitement and leaves. You're standing there like, what the heck? Let me in, man. But you go on and it says... You know, Rhoda runs in and she's out of gladness. She didn't open the gate, but she ran in and announced to the people praying for Peter that Peter stood before the gate and look at their response. In verse 15, it says, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. They're praying for the deliverance of Peter. When Peter is delivered, they said, this is impossible. Because they forgot who they were praying to. They looked at the guards chained to him. They looked at the walls. They looked at all the reasons why it was that Peter was facing certain death. And they forgot in all of that that none of that matters with the Lord. And I think that there are times that we do the same thing. That man, we forget who it is that we're supposed to look up to. And who it is that we offer our prayers to. And we start to write things off as lost causes or people as lost causes. And they'll never get it. They'll never understand. They'll never change. And man, we're looking at the guards. We're looking at the walls. We're looking at all the reasons why we can't do anything. And we're forgetting that none of that matters before God. That there is nothing that is too hard or too big for Him. Because man... He's God. And I think that that is one of the biggest things that keeps us from praying. Is our forgetfulness of who it is that we serve. We face a lot of major issues today. There is a lot of insecurity in the world. There's a lot of fear and anxiety about you name it. Sometimes as parents, we can't even drop off our kids at school without worrying about whether or not they're going to come home or what they're going to come home with. There are a lot of things that can bring anxiety in our lives. But knowing who we serve gives us the peace to cast it on him. There are things that, man, we are not going to have the answers to in life. 
but that's okay because we know the one who does and we know the one who holds our life in his hands. There are going to be things we don't have solutions for. I have learned in, in 10 years of marriage, maybe the only thing that I have learned because I'm not a very smart person, but I have learned that there are times that when my wife is talking to me, I don't need to try and fix things because generally I just make them worse. And she has constantly reminded me in love, be quiet. And it's one of those things that I've realized that that is probably the best thing I can do. Be quiet and pray. Because she doesn't need to hear my voice. She needs to hear his. And often my voice can be the one that keeps her from doing that. And I would encourage us, and maybe for most of us it is just that, just an encouragement to keep doing what you're already doing. But maybe if you're like me, it's a reminder and possibly a conviction. Fight the battles where they need to be fought. Spend the time on your knees before the Lord. Remember who we're fighting against. And man, get in the fight. And watch what it is that God can do when his people start praying. I love reading through Acts. Because man, you see just the realness of the power of prayer. And one of the things I firmly believe is that the reason why we don't see it as much as we used to is because we don't pray like we used to. And we're trying to do it on our own. And it's just not the same. We need to pray. First and foremost, we need to pray. And then we can go. But before we go, we better have prayed.